The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Head to Cut.com. That's K-U-T-T.com. Use promo code SGPN for a 10% deposit bonus. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame, download the Hall of Fame Bets advocated to Bets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. And don't forget to enter our Super Bowl 58 uh, props contest. Pick 58 Super Bowl props for a chance to win $1,000. Enter today for free at sportscampockets.com slash SB58 or in the SGPN app. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast. Now, it is currently Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, roughly 2 a.m. Eastern time on February 10th. I'm your host, always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. And it should be a fun episode because we have six matches to talk about. It is semifinal time in Cordoba, in Dallas, and Marseille. Cordoba did their thing. The weather cooperated, so they officially got back on schedule. And as a result, we will include them in this episode after skipping all the action from Cordoba on Friday. Now, before we get into any of the actual uh, picks for the semifinals of those three tournaments, do you want to take care of some housekeeping? Starting off with a reminder, don't forget to like and subscribe if you are listening to this on YouTube. If you're new, welcome uh, to the show. Hopefully you enjoy it. And if you're still listening to this on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, then don't forget to rate and review the podcast on either platform. Also a reminder, we have merch now on the podcast with the SGPN merch store. So if you do want to get a t-shirt supporting the show, a mug, etc., you know where to find all that. You can find that on the SGPN merch store. But uh, we got to also get into the recap from the last episode, and we're going to start off with the lock and dog picks. We crushed it, uh, simply put. Ended up sweeping the lock and dog picks. For the lock, we had the over. 22 and a half games in the Shelton and Thompson match at minus 144. I said I thought 23 flat would be fine. I kind of just played it safe for no reason. Uh, 22 and a half, 23, 32 and a half didn't matter. I went over as the match went to three sets. Very competitive match like I thought it would be. Shelton got the job done, but most importantly, the over was never in doubt as that cashed easily. For the dog, kind of the same story. We ended up sticking with Dallas, did go with Tommy Paul to win in straight sets against Kepfer, and he won in straight sets at plus 110. First set was a bit dicey as he won the first set 7-5, but he was up a break on two separate occasions in that set and choked it away and then got it back again to a win of the set, and then he coasted in the second set. Pretty straightforward. Uh, both guys are baseliners. Paul's better at it, and he dominated. So overall, we ended up going 2-0 with those picks. For the leans on the other matches, I think we did fine uh, for the quarterfinals. Uh, looking at the matches from yesterday, I mentioned Cordoba last because we didn't really talk about that tournament at all in the last episode. Uh, we thought Paul would win in straight sets. He did. thought Shelton would probably win in three or a very competitive two, and he did. Uh, we were wrong about Tiafo. I mean, Tiafo's a clown, so not exactly shocked that he ended up underachieving. It's why we ended up skipping him for the outrights going into this event, because Tiafo will never get my hard-earned money uh, in outrights, because he is just an absolute head case, and Giron killed him on a Friday night. And Manorino won in a set and a half as Duckworth hurt his hip in, I believe it was the third game of the first set, Tried to tough it out, and he got killed, but ended up having to retire midway through the second set. The draw for Manorino, by the way, has been absolutely hilarious for this event, and it's pretty funny because out of the four remaining players in Dallas, we have three of them on the outrights. So we have a very good chance of actually winning. As long as Giron does not run the table, we will win an outright automatically. Uh, but you're looking at Manorino's path so far. He had a bye 
in the first round. Nishioka withdrew, so that was a walkover. And then uh, you ended up seeing his opponent, Duckworth, get injured three games into a match. So Manorino's basically played three games or two games against a healthy opponent all tournament long, and he's in the semifinals, which I find kind of funny. Uh, it's good for us. Uh, so we'll see what happens moving forward. As for Marseille, we have one outright left. We didn't give out many, and during the tournament, we picked the favorite in her catch, who dominated once again as he beat Makic 6-3, 6-4. Umber buried Fakina, which I did not see coming. I thought that was going to be a close match. I thought Umber was definitely going to benefit from the home crowd to some degree, but I thought that Fakina was in good form, and maybe I was a bit biased because Umber struggled early on against Gaston or in the first round and then kind of uh, you know found his groove after that. But Umbera was great. Just simply put, Fakino knows a head case as well. And he looked very sharp against Rusevori and then pulled a 180 and got buried in the following match. As for uh, the other matches, we thought Kashanov would win against Zhang probably in straight sets. That happened as he won comfortably. And we thought Dimitrov would win probably in straight sets, but a competitive one against Rinder Knich. And he did as he won 6 3 7 6. So uh, you ended up having one match out of those two tournaments go to three sets in the last two days combined. So relatively lopsided matches individually uh, in those two tournaments. But you saw a lot of interesting matches in Cordoba because they were making up for some lost time. So Hoffman and Borachaga ended up finishing their match that got rained out on, uh, I think that was Thursday, I believe. But either way, the point is they finished that match out. Hoffman came back and won in three. Baez had a bit of a sweat there, started off slow against Delian but then responded well as he ended up winning in three. Uh, you saw Acosta, uh, Diaz Acosta ended up winning in three against Toronto. Corey ended up beating Echeverry comfortably. That was a dominant showing there as he won 6-3, 6-4. Bagnus ended up beating Munar 7-5, 6-4. Once again, I thought Munar would potentially... Uh, uh, not Munar. I thought Bagnus would potentially make a decent run in this event because he was very good in qualifying and he does have a home country advantage. The problem was for the outright episode, Bagnus did not have any odds, which still annoys me. So we could not give him out. And I kind of wish I waited and potentially found a way to give him out because I thought Bagnus would potentially make a Cinderella run into the semis, but he won in straight sets. You saw Darderi uh, make his first ever uh, quarterfinal uh, in, or first ever semi, I mean, in the ATP main draw as he ended up uh, beating Hoffman in straight sets and ended up seeing Baez kill Diaz Acosta in the final match of the day as Baez ended up winning 6-3, 6-1. So overall, I mentioned before the tournament that Cordoba is usually very unpredictable, and that's why it's one of my favorite clay events of the year. It's kind of ironic because you might have a rematch of last year's final if Coria and Baez both win their matches on Saturday then the unpredictability angle that I was talking about is just dead wrong. And you ended up seeing exact carbon copy of the final we got last year. So we'll see what happens. Should be interesting, though, as you basically have uh, two Cinderella's in Bagnus and in, Dar in, in uh, Dartery, and you have Coria and you have Baez. So that means Dartery is the only non-Argentine -Arg who's actually in the uh, semis. So the home country angle did work out, but I picked the wrong guys. Either way, uh, so the Cordoba outrights didn't really work out at all. Uh, Dallas did. We have three out of the four remaining. And Marseille, we have her catch, who's still the favorite to win the tournament. So the quarterfinals kind of went according to plan. We swept the show picks for the lock and dog, so can't complain. So we're going to talk about the actual semifinal matches in Marseille first, going in chronological order, actually. Marseille is going to be the first 
as that take as that's taking place in the morning. Then in a plot twist, Dallas is actually starting before Cordova. So we're going to go with Marseille, then Dallas, then Cordova as the actual uh, order of operations here for this episode. But before we get into any of those actual matches and the previews, do you want to take a quick word from our sponsor? Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into $200 instantly in bonus bets. You can currently find the Super Bowl lines available on DraftKings. The Chiefs are plus 2 and the Niners are minus 2. The over-under is set at 47.5. Should be a fun game, and hopefully you make some money betting on it with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SGP. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets, only on Drafting Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of, of Super Bowl 58 with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit CCPG. Org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to plug inside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Still be higher or lower on your favorite fantasy players' fantasy stats and cash in. You can win 100 times your money with some spicy plays. Watch along, maybe make a little money and make some picks over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, remember to use the promo code SGPN. Underdog will double your first up to $100. Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing, or recapping, I should say, the quarterfinal matches in Cordoba, in Dallas, and in Marseille. Now it's time to talk about the actual matches taking place on Saturday. As we're going to start off in Marseille, and we're going to look at what should be a pretty solid set of semifinal matches. So to go through the matches in order, you have Hurtcatch, defending champion, taking on the home country guy in uh, Umber, as you have Hercatch being a favorite of minus 199. Umber is around plus 169. For the game spread, you have Hercatch a minus two and a half games and minus 104. As for Umber, plus two and a half games is minus 116. The over-under set at 24 and a half, kind of a, uh, an unusual number, at minus 111. And you have the under at minus 109. If you want the set wagering, you can find the match to go to three sets at around uh, plus 120, give or take. Hercatch to win in straight sets is available at plus 160. Umber to win a set is minus 200. And if you want Umber to win in straight sets, you can find that at plus 325. Now, Hercatch has been incredible so far in this event as he ended up burying Shevchenko and he ended up burying Makic in the match yesterday. So he's in great form. Now, Umber has been in good form too ever since he stumbled out of the blocks against Gaston and then woke up afterwards in what would turn out to be a fun match. But he beat Fakina comfortably in the match on Friday. The head-to-head, though, has been interesting between these two because her catch is currently 3-0, but the matches have been competitive recently. So they faced off in the Australian Open in this past year, and her catch lost the first set and ended up winning in, in a four. They faced off in Basel 
last year, and her catch won that one in three with a final set tiebreak uh, being the decider. And you saw her catch win on grass in Hala back in 2022, uh, where her catch won 7-6-6-3. So her catch, I think, is going to win this match. I think that he's the better player. I think that Umber, despite winning uh, the first two matches, hasn't exactly had to face off against many great servers with Fakina, who's known to double fault and to be kind of a clown at times as well. And you're also looking at Gaston, who's very undersized. And because of that, is really a bad server, especially on hard court. So her catch's serve should really dominate throughout the course of this match. Umber's a good server too, especially the lefty kick out wide. But I do think you're looking at her catch being the better player and being in great form. He won the title here last year. We know he's comfortable with it. And I think that Umber can make this interesting. He's been really good for the last uh, couple months at this point, as Umber might flirt with top 15, top 10 upside uh, if he keeps this rolling for the next year or so. So keep an eye out for that. But the point is, I do think Hercatch is the better player. He's 3-0 in the head-to-head. Would it shock me if Umber won a set? No. But I do think that the actual value might be on Hercatch straight sets here uh, at around a plus... Sorry, forgot what the odds were. Uh, on plus... Uh, just trying to find it, 160. I think 160 is a pretty good price to get the defending champion who's been really, really good, especially in the return game, uh, For which is kind of surprising because her catch I've compared in the past to being the new age Kevin Anderson, which I think there's some resemblance because they're good servers. Usually the return game isn't amazing, which is why her catch had so many tiebreakers last year. But on this actual court, he's been really good with the returning. He was able to threaten constantly against Mokic, who's a good server, and Shevchenko, Almost got bageled in the first set of their match. So I think that Hercatch will find some chances. I think Umber will create some chances as well, but not as many in the return games. So I like Hercatch to remain undefeated against Umber, and I think that there's some value on these straight sets here at plus 160. I like the game spread, though. You can find Hercatch minus one game at minus 145. It's juicy. I still like it, though. I think I'll get the job done. So give me the defending champion to remain alive and to move into the final here for the second straight year. Moving on to the other semifinal, you have what should be the match of the day, even though this one is probably a runner-up. You have Dimitrov taking on uh, Kashanov. Now, Dimitrov's a pretty decent favorite here of about minus 219. Uh, Kashanov is around plus 189 the other way. As of the game spread, Dimitrov minus 3 is minus 106. Her catch plus 3 is minus 114. Uh, you're looking at the over-under for games. 22.5 is at minus 130. The On the over, the under is plus 100. You can find the 23 flat at minus 106 on the over, and the under is at minus 114. If you want the set wager, you can find Kashanov's win in straight sets is available at plus 375. Dimitrov to win in straight sets is plus 140. Kashanov to win a set is minus 170. Now, the head-to-head is pretty lopsided, similarly to the Hercatch and Umber match, where you have one guy winning all three matches in the head-to-head. But some of those matches were competitive as they faced off in Vienna in 2020. Dimitrov won in straight sets, uh, 7-6-6-3. Faced off in Paris in 2021, Dimitrov won in three sets. And they faced off in Shanghai last year, competitive, Dimitrov won 7-6-6-4. Now, Dimitrov's been good. He has had a couple of close calls, though. Went to a tiebreak against Korda, went to a tiebreak against Rinderknecht. So he's been dominant in some sets, and he's been vulnerable on others. Kashanov's been on the warpath, though. He absolutely destroyed Batista Agut in the first match, 6-2, 6-2, and then killed uh, Zhang, who was in great form, as uh, Zhang was uh, off of a straight-set win against Felix, and we know that he thrives in hardcore indoors, and yet Zhang killed him. And he had no chance in the match on Friday. Kashanov went up a break relatively early in the first set, and then he ended up coasting. 
And then he killed uh, Zhang 6-1 in the second set. So the point is, I do think even though Dimitrov has the head-to-head advantage, which might explain this price point, I think this line's too high. Kashanov's been really good, simply put. I know that Agut's past his prime. I know that Makic has kind of had a recent uh, surge, and I do think that was a very impressive win. Uh, actually, or am I confusing a part? Sorry, I mean Zhang. Zhang was in pretty good form in this event after he beat Felix in the previous round, and Kashanov beat him like it was nothing. So I think that Kashanov's in great form. And once again, the only loss he's had in the last month or so was in the Australian Open to the eventual champion in center. No shame in that. So I think Kashanov's actually pretty live to win this. Now, do I think he's going to? Probably not. I think Dimitrov probably gets it done. 219 is crazy, though. This line should be closer, in my opinion, to minus 160. I think Kashanov's really played well enough to have Dimitrov on the ropes in this match. So I like the games in favor of the dog here. I like the over at 22 and a half games. I see what should be a close match. I see what I think is going to be a bit of a toss-up, in my opinion. So if you want to go for the value play, blindly, I don't mind the uh, money line price for Kashanov at plus 189 if you want to take a flyer and you want to go for what could be a very nice plus money play. But I think the three games is pretty generous, and I do think that there's a decent shot Kashanov wins a set in this match, which is why it is minus 170 for him to win a set. But I think that based on current form, Dimitrov's been good, but I've seen him play better in other actual venues, and the fact that he went to a breaker against Korda and against Rinderknecht suggests the over is definitely worth a look. Kashanov, though, has been in great form, and I do think that his overall style of play has translated to the courts here in Marseille. Give me the dog here plus the three, and I am going to go with the over in the spot at 22 and a half at about minus 130. Now, moving on to Dallas, you have two matches, one between Americans and one between an American and a Frenchman. You have Shelton taking on Paul, and that should be a very fun match, as Shelton is a slight favorite about minus 123. Paul's around plus 103. As for the game spread, Shelton minus a half is minus 113. Paul plus a half is minus 107. As for the over-under, 23 and a half, the over is minus 108. The under is minus 112. If you want to go for 22 and a half, you can find the over at minus 160. The under is plus 130. For set wagering, Shelton to win in straight sets is plus 210. Paul to win in straight sets is plus 240. Now, both guys have looked good so far in this event. Now, Shelton had a bit of a war against Thompson on Friday not surprising because I thought Thompson's game could give Shelton some problems. But you're looking at the head-to-head, and Paul won the first meeting in the Australian Open back last year. And then Shelton got revenge twice, beat him in the U.S. Open in four, and beat Paul in Tokyo last year in straight sets. Now, the issue with Paul has always been the serve, and that was an issue at the end of the first set against uh, Kempfer. But you're looking at Shelton. The serve's been really good. Now, you have to ask, though, for the sake of asking, does the current form of Paul mean anything? Because he's won in straight sets against Daniel and against Kepfer. I don't think it really matters that much because Shelton brings the unique element of an elite serve to the table. Kind of like my breakdown of the Hercatch match against uh, Umber, where Umber was in good form. But when you face off against Gaston, you face off against Fakina, suddenly you're facing off against a guy who's one of the best servers on tour, and your return game might be a little bit neutralized. And I do think that Shelton's serve is going to dictate the match. Now, Paul, I think, will have some break points. He might break a time or two. I think it's going to be a close match. But I do think if Shelton, who's still very young, is not dealing with that much fatigue from the war he had against Thompson, I think he's going to win this match. I think Shelton's the better player. I think Paul is a guy who can only win one way. 
he has to basically try to outlast opponents on the baseline, which could work for Paul. But Shelton is a pretty good volleyer. He's a great server. I would not be surprised to see him attack the net a lot in this tournament, uh, moving forward and in this match in particular, because that has worked out for him so far in this event. So I'm going to go with Shelton. The fact he's won the last two meetings uh, pretty convincingly, and the fact that, once again, Paul just doesn't have a good enough server, in my opinion, to go back and forth holding with Shelton. I think Shelton will get more break points. I think eventually he'll break through in each set. Give me Shelton to get the job done on the money line here at about minus 123. Moving on to the other uh, semifinal matchup. You have a matchup between Giron, surprise uh, semifinalist here, and Manorino, and you basically a pick them for both guys, as each player is minus 110, and the over-under games is set at 22 and a half. Now, for the sake of the head-to-head, -head, it's been interesting between these two players because Giron and Manorino have had a couple of interesting matchups where Manorino won the first two meetings in 2014. Then you had a seven-year gap, and they faced off in Melbourne in 2021, and Giron won in straight set. So not really anything you could point to in the head-to-head -head because neither guys faced off against each other in basically uh, two, three years. So the point is it doesn't really mean much at all uh, for the sake of this matchup. Giron, though, has been in good form. Ended up beating uh, Moreno, relative unknown in straight sets, beat Purcell in straight sets, and killed Tiafo on Friday. Manorino, I mentioned it before, has played basically two or three games against a healthy opponent all tournament long because Nishioka didn't show up. He had a bye in the first round, and Duckworth got injured immediately in the quarters. So, yeah, Manorino is here because he seems to always do well in 250, especially for the last couple of years, but he really has barely had to do anything in this actual uh, tournament so far. So Manorino should be very rested. You can argue borderline rusty at this point. I'm kind of being facetious. But I do think that Manorino's the better player in this matchup. And I do think that, he, of course, he's one of the more difficult players to prepare for on the entire tour because of how flat he eats the ball, the way he strings the racket, and just his overall style of play. I think it's going to be a fun match because Giron's in good form. I see a very close match. Might go three sets, so I actually might lean to the over. But I do think Manorino's going to get the job done. I just trust him more. The guy drinks tequila before matches. What do you want from me? No, but seriously, Manorino's been a friend of the podcast for about a year and change, where we've made a lot of money on him over the last year or so because we kind of saw the upswing and decided to tail it, and it's worked out very well for us. So I'm going to back the proven commodity here. Give me Manorino to get the job done. Won't be easy. I think Manorino in three might be an appealing option here. Maybe if you want to go with a lose first set win match for a crazy price, somewhere in the six to seven to one range, maybe I wouldn't mind that. But I do think you're looking at Manorino probably finding a way, and I think that he'll get the job done. So give me the front of the podcast here. Give Manorino on the money line at minus 110. Moving on to Cordoba. Now you're going to look at two eh, decent favorites. One's a pretty big favorite. The other one is somewhat close. But you're looking at Coria being the favorite at minus 145. As he takes on Bagnus, uh, Coria in the in the uh, game spread here is minus two at minus 105. Bagnus plus two is minus 115. Over under in games is set at 22 flat. The over is minus 112. The under is minus 108. If you want to go for the set wagering, Coria to win in straight sets is plus 180. Bagnus to win in straight sets is plus 275. Over two and a half sets is available at plus 130. Now, Coria once again, is the defending uh, runner-up last year, who we had to win the event last year before he lost in three to Baez. Still hurts to this day. But going through the actual head-to-head, -head, you've seen Bagnus actually kind of dominate the head-to-head. -head. Bagnus is 3-1 and one in the head-to-head. -head. Faced off uh, 
not really recently though. Faced off in 2014, Bagnus won in four in uh three. I mean, in Cordoba, faced off in Cordoba again in 2019, Bagnus won in straight sets. Faced off in Peru in 2019, Coria won in three. First two sets were competitive though, seven five five seven, and they faced off in a challenger event in 2021, and Bagnus won that one in three. So all four matches on clay. Two of those matches in Cordoba, and Bagnus is three and one in the head to head. I recognize how good Corey has been in this event, but I got to take the dog here at plus 125. If you're three and one in the head to head and you're two and oh in this exact event, yes, a long time ago. I'm aware of that. But the point is, Bagnus has been in great form since qualifying. I thought he would be a serious dark horse candidate to make a run here. And the only thing stopping me from taking him instead of Navone was the lack of odds for Bagnus. So I'm still annoyed at kind of myself and the odds makers for not giving me odds on Bagnus, who was in the field at that point. But I think Corey has been in great form, no doubt about it. Killed that Chaveri. But Bagnus has been really good. And I just think that when you own the head-to-head like that, I have to consider the plus money price on Bagnus here. So I'm not going to pick the repeat, the rematch of last year's final. I'm not going to do that. I do think there's value on the dog here, and I do like the over. I see a marathon match. Uh, you see three of the four meetings going to three sets. I like the over two and a half sets here at plus 130. I like the value. Give me a fun matchup where the crowd might be split. I think you're going to see a slight favorite. Uh, actually, I don't know if there's going to be a favoritism towards Corey or not, because he was the finalist last year, but Bagnus has been around for a long time. So I am kind of wondering how the crowd will be divided, probably 50-50, or just rooting for a good match and hoping either guy wins. But I think you're going to see Bagnus keep this close. I'm going to lean to the underdog here, and I am going to go with the over 22. I like the over in sets here at plus 130. Give me a classic clay war that might take three hours. So that's kind of my uh, prognosis for this actual match. Moving on to the other final, you have a, uh, the other semi. You have another Argentine, as you have uh, Baez at minus 213, taking on Dartery in his first ever ATP semi. Uh, you're looking at Baez, who is minus three at minus 113. Dartery's plus three at minus 107. You have the over-under at 22. The over is minus 113. The under is minus 107. As for the set wagering, buys and straight sets is plus 125. Dartery to win a set is a plus is a minus 155, I mean. And the over two and a half sets is at plus 135. Now, they faced off last year, coincidentally, in Cordoba, and you saw Baez winning straight sets. So Baez already beat him on this exact court. So I think you're going to see a similar story here. I can't go against Baez. He's a defending champion. He is the best clay player, as far as I'm concerned, in this field. Darter, if you've actually watched him play, he's consistent, but I don't see many unique attributes to his game. And I think Baez, after a slow start against Delian, makes sense. He played one clay match in the Davis Cup, but really not much action post-Australia. So he was a bit rusty to start. Then he flipped the match on its head. And he, won and he won comfortably the last two sets that he killed Acosta Diaz. So I do think that Baez has figured it out again, and I think he's the better player by far in terms of talent on clay. Give me Baez to get the job done in straight sets. History to repeat itself. He beat this exact same guy on this exact same court last year in straight sets. I see a similar script here. Give me Baez to make it back to the final. And plus 125 for straight sets is a very good price in my opinion. So I am, I am going to go with that as my pick. Now, that's going to wrap it up though, for the actual semifinal picks in Marseille, in Dallas, and in Cordoba. Uh, we're going to get into the actual lock and dog picks in a second, but before we continue that, going to have a quick word from our sponsor. 
We're brought to you by the SGP Super Bowl 58 Props Contest. $1,000 winner-take-all prize. Free to enter. Pick 58 props for uh, Super Bowl 58. Enter today. Uh, sportscampodcast.com slash SB58 or hit the link in the SGPN app. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Peer-to-peer social betting is the new and better way to bet. Bet directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with verifiable outcomes, and a ton of fun social features that give it the feel of a betting social network. Cut offers lower VIG and fully customizable odds so you can create your own bets. Cut handles the payment side of things, so you never have to worry about chasing down your money. Social features include group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head history, user profiles, fan groups, and more. And they have good rewards. Get cash back every single time you bet against your friends or other users. And our partners at Cut are giving away $5,000 to the user who refers the most New depositors by the end of the Super Bowl weekend. All you have to do is invite your friends to sign up for Cut via the Invite Friend button on your dashboard and have them deposit before Monday. The user with the most depositor uh, referrals will get $5,000 inside credit automatically added to their accounts next week. Cut is the Peter Beer social betting platform that's US-based available in 40 states. Head to Cut.com. It's KUTT.com. And use promo code SGPN for a 10% deposit bonus. We're also brought to you by GameTime. I know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person. And it used to be very annoying to actually find a ticketing provider that I could trust. But that changed once I found the Game Time app, because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They have a lot of great features in the app, including my favorite feature, which is the images of seat views. So I'm sure you've had this happen before. You buy a ticket, you're ready for the event you're about to watch, and then you suddenly realize there's an obstruction, a pole or something in front of you, and you realize that you spent money, your hard-earned money, on a sporting event that you can barely watch because your view's obstructed, that is not going to happen with this feature because it will show you a preview of the exact view you're going to get if you purchase that ticket, so you can definitely avoid those type of disaster situations before spending your hard-earned money on tickets. But they also have a lot of great last-minute ticket deals. Forget plenty of months in advance. Game time is deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And exclusive flash deals for tickets on football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So sign up tickets out the stress with game time, download the game time app and create an account. Use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports analytics platform parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet or on which picks are hot or uh, which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop back in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app for the HOFBets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished uh, recapping uh, the quarterfinal matches, and then we ended up previewing the semifinal matches in Cordoba, Dallas, and Marseille for Saturday. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks. A reminder, we are off of a sweep. So hopefully we'll get another sweep in this episode. But starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup taking place in Marseille. Going to be a matchup between Dimitrov and Kishanov. And I am going to go with the over 22 and a half games here at minus 130. I understand that based on the head-to-head, it might be intimidating because Dimitrov is 3-0 lifetime against Kishanov. 
But I've really been impressed by how Karen's played in this event. He's looked fantastic. Dimitrov's looked good too, but Dimitrov's been a bit vulnerable. Went to a breaker once again against uh, Korda and Rinderknich each of the last two at that meetings, despite it being 3 0 in favor of Dimitrov each of the last two. Had at least 23 games. The meeting last year ended 7-6-6-4. The meeting before that went to three sets. So the matches have been close. Dimitrov's just been on the right side of them. But I think you're going to see a close match once again. Dimitrov has variety. Kashanov's forehand and really backhand have been consistent. And the serve's been very good. Dimitrov's only... Uh, sorry, not Dimitrov. Uh, Dimitrov has been involved in a lot of uh, tiebreakers recently, which I feel is kind of an underrated uh, fact. You're looking at Dimitrov, and he's had at least one breaker in five of his last six matches, including each of the two matches here. So if you're expecting Dimitrov to have a long set or two in this match, that obviously bodes well for the over. But Kashanov serves been a pretty underrated storyline of this event so far because Kashanov has not gone broken yet in this tournament. In fact, he's only faced one break point. So Kashanov, if he continues serving this well, I think should go to at least one breaker, maybe two in this match. But I think you're going to see two guys arguably... Uh, I mean, they're relatively similar in terms of skill set. I think that Dimitrov's a bit more versatile, but I do think that each guy is going to try to stand by on the baseline, kind of rip it. Dimitrov's going to slice a bit more, as he has been doing with the backhand side especially. Maybe a little bit of volleying for Dimitrov, but the point is I do think you're going to see a close match. Based on the current form, the good form of Kashanov, give me the over 22.5 games in what might be a three-set match at minus 130. And for the dog, I wanted to go to Cordoba, and I wasn't sure if I was going to initially go with a set spread, or if I am or if I was going to look at the Bagnus match, because I thought about Bagnus on the money line at plus 125, since he has won three of the four head-to-head meetings. They're a bit dated, though, so I don't know if I could actually use that much for the sake of that match breakdown. I thought about the over as well in two and a half sets at plus 130, but I decided to go with the actual defending champion instead. Well, So once again, honorable mention for the dog was the over two and a half sets in the Coria and Bagnus match, but... My lot, my dog, I mean, is going to be on Baez to win in straight sets at plus 125. Simply put, Baez is the proven commodity here at Cordoba. He's got the crowd support. He is the defending champion. And he also beat Dartery, this exact opponent, this exact same event last year in straight sets. So I've seen this movie before. And Dartery, it's a very, very big match for him because this is his first ever ATP semifinal match. I believe he's only won three career or four career main draw matches on the ATP level. So he's still very young. I believe he's 21. But looking at his actual uh, style of play and looking at his attributes, I think he's a pretty generic clay player. And I think that once again, Baez, based on the form and the overall talent disparity, should, keyword should, win in straight sets. But if you want to give me a guy who is a massive favorite in this match at about minus... Uh, what's his price again? I got to find it. Uh, he's around minus 213, and I can get him at straight sets of the defending champion at plus 125. I think it's a great deal. Uh, Baez woke up against Dillian after the first set, which he lost. Then he had a very nice, basically a bye in the quarters against uh, Diaz Acosta, who was off of a three-set marathon against Tarante, who had nothing left in the tank, and Baez coasted. So the point is I do like Baez in the spot. I wonder if emotions will play a factor uh, negatively for Dartery, who's in the biggest match of his career against a home country guy with crowd support, who's the defending champion. I think it's a bad spot for Dartery, but I just simply think Baez is the more talented player on clay, and I think it's going to show in the spot. Give me Baez in straight sets at plus 125 as my dog. So once again, my picks for the show. The lock is going to be in Marseille. I'm going to go with Dimitrov and Kashanov over. Uh, 
uh, Kishanov over 22 and a half games at minus 130. And I am going to go with the dog being biased to win in straight sets at plus 125. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder back once again on either Saturday night or early, early Sunday morning to go through the final in Cordoba, Dallas, and Marseille. A reminder, though, before we officially wrap up the show to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're still listening to this on Spotify or Apple, don't forget to uh, leave a five-star rating and a review. Been slacking on reviews lately and on ratings. So once again, I'm not calling out anybody in particular, but I do know that we have a couple hundred people that actually listen to the podcast via Spotify and Apple individually. So leave a, a like and leave a rating and review takes like five seconds. So if you could do do that, I'd, I'd appreciate it. But until tomorrow and until uh, the actual uh, matches conclude for the semis, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye everyone.